Then, then of course, now in the last uh, this year, you have all companies trying to jump onto the uh, large language model bandwagon, the chat GPT. And, you know, they, there's obviously this hype that, oh, this can do everything. And it is incredibly impressive when you talk to it. So we're going through something absolutely historic. Technologies across the board are growing exponentially. It's a disruption that's going to completely redefine the way businesses compete. In the next decade, we're going to lose 40% of today's Fortune 500 companies. The exponential growth of computing is continuing. AI is nowhere near its full potential. Whether you like it or not, that the future cannot be stopped by anyone. Hi, everybody. This is Mark Verbenkoff, and welcome back to the Future Tech and Foresight podcast. This is going to be episode number 130. So as you've been uh, following the podcast lately, you've no doubt come across the fact that we've delved into the kind of evolving world of AI uh, pretty extensively. So it makes absolutely perfect sense that uh, we're very, very close to the one-year anniversary of ChatGPT launching. So we're going to be diving more into AI today. And in this episode, we're going to be zoning in on a rapidly evolving segment of AI namely chatbots and personalized AI assistance, which again fits perfectly with the anniversary of ChatGPT. So joining me on this little exploration is Peter Voss, who is a pioneer in the AI industry. We're going to be unpacking some critical areas today from the current challenges in call centers to the revolutionary impact of hyper-personalized AI in customer service. We'll compare the early iterations of chatbots with the advanced capabilities of platforms like Ago, which Peter has been instrumental in developing. Our conversation does go beyond just these technicalities. We discuss the economic and social implications of blending AI with human interaction in business settings. We also look at how these AI-driven systems stack up against their human agents or counterparts, and what unique features does Ego bring to the table, especially when compared to other platforms like ChatGPT. And most importantly, where is this technology heading? So Peter Voss is a renowned figure in the world of artificial intelligence. He's a serial entrepreneur, engineer, and inventor. And his journey specifically in AI began with a quest to understand and replicate human intelligence, leading him, along with others like Ben Gertz, to coin the term artificial general intelligence. And as the founder, CEO, and chief scientist at Ago.ai, Peter is at the forefront of revolutionizing conversational AI technology. His current mission is to provide hyper-intelligent, hyper-personal assistance to enhance customer experiences and engagement. A visionary in AI, Peter's contributions extend, however, beyond technology into philosophical discussions about the rational ethics, free will, and the future of artificial minds. And that definitely comes across in today's interview, which I thoroughly enjoyed, and I hope that you do as well. Hi there, Peter. Thank you very much for coming onto the podcast today to talk about one of my uh, favorite discussions, artificial intelligence. <laughs> Yes, thank you. Uh, also one of my favorite topics. <laughs> <laughs> I should hope so. <laughs> um, so, uh, so as I mentioned before, I always ask my guests uh, what initially got you interested in the industry that you're working in or on the technology that you're working on. So if you want to kick us off uh, with that, that'd be, that'd be great. Yes, absolutely. So uh, I actually started out 
as an electronics engineer, so working on hardware, and I started my own electronics company. Then I fell in love with software, and my company turned into a software company. So I ended up developing a comprehensive ERP software package, and that company was quite successful. We went from the garage to 400 people and did an IPO. And it's really that when I exited that company that allowed me to to think about, well, what big problem do I want to tackle, you know? Uh, And what struck me is that software is actually quite stupid. (laughs) You know, um, it it doesn't think, it doesn't reason, it it doesn't learn. Uh, And, you know, I was very proud of the software that we developed, but still um, that, that realization got me to the point where I said, how can we build software that can actually think and learn and reason the way humans uh, do. And it took me on a five-year journey of uh, studying all different aspects of intelligence, starting with epistemology, theory of knowledge. How do we know anything? You know, Is there reality out there that, that we can know? How can we be certain of things? And you know, from psychology, how do children learn? And what do IQ tests measure? How does our intelligence differ from animals? And then, of course, I studied as well what the work that had been done in the field of AI. And and that's really what, um, you know, it's just so super exciting, um, the whole idea of being able to build a thinking machine. Um, And um, 2001, I then started my first AI company. And since then, I've been alternating between development, uh, um, you know, development projects where we focused on increasing the IQ and then commercializing the technology. So um, I've basically done two stints of five years of development and uh, two stints of five years of uh, commercialization. And my current commercial company is now working, you know, that's up and running. And I'm actually turning back my focus on development again. Okay, okay, interesting. And and this uh, this current company is of course uh, AI Go. And um, what and we're going to be talking about chatbots uh, today, of course. So what uh, what were kind of the early chatbots not meeting right? So there's like the expectations that people had about chatbots, and maybe they weren't meeting certain expectations, or they were, as you said, maybe too stupid. They're not very necessarily useful. Yes, ab- absolutely. So uh, I think we've all experienced, and by chatbots, I think we can, uh, you know, for the purpose of this discussion, include uh, automated systems that you talk to, you know, when you uh, call into a company, which of course have been around a lot longer before chat became a thing. Um, so, you know, calling into a company and talking to an automated system. I mean, people typically hate these systems. And even chatbots today, most of them, are pretty frustrating. And, you know, why is that? Well, the technology that is being used by most companies, almost all companies, is actually pretty simple. It's been around for like 30 years. It's essentially a flowchart type program, you know, where somebody says, well, it asks you this question, and then you answer it yes or no, or you give your, your name or your zip code or whatever. But, you know, if there's anything that you want to do differently that the the system wasn't designed for, it doesn't understand you properly, or you want to jump to a different topic, typically they fail miserably. And, um, you know, it's just the technology is actually that's out there is, is actually very primitive by and large. 
And that's why it's so frustrating. I mean, people typically hate these things. You know, they say, I just always press zero to get to an operator. Yeah. 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 So, um, so of course, AI Go is doing something a little bit different here. Do you want to yes. just, uh, touch on that uh, a little bit and then we can jump into some? Yes. Um, well, the sim simplest way, uh, yeah, what we do at, at uh, iGo, iGo.ai, um, is we call it a chatbot with a brain. And, you know, that makes all the difference. It's not just the flowchart program that we follow, but it's actually a cognitive engine that remembers what you said earlier in the conversation, even in what you said in prior conversations. And it has a deep understanding of what you're saying. So it can switch from one topic to another topic or answer a question that you might interrupt with. And so it, it, it uses context, it uses memory, it uses reasoning, and it has deep understanding. And that, that's a technology we've basically developed and you know commercialized and perfected um, over the last 15, uh, 15 years. So it's a very, very different approach to what almost all other uh, chatbot technologies use. And uh, how comparable is the interaction with this chatbot compared to, let's say, I mean, the, the most the most famous AI technology right now, ChatGPT? Yes, uh, that, that's a very uh, important question. Now, uh, of course, ChatGPT or large language models are very, very recent, and they are just incredibly impressive in terms of the sort of complexity of conversation that you can can have the amount of knowledge that they have. Um, and, you know, they are trained with like almost all of the information that's available, you know, trillions of parameters um, that that feed into that or words that feed in, in, into this. Um, so they are very, very uh, good at this sort of open-ended conversation and answering questions. Now, the huge limitation that they have, uh, well, there are several. Uh, and in fact, the, the name GPT kind of um, already gives, gives a good clue. The first G stands for generative, which means they make up stuff. So, you know, they are trained with massive amounts of information, but that information can be good, bad, and ugly. And they will basically always try to come up with an answer to whatever you ask them for. And that answer could just be completely made up. Um, you know, so for example, I can say, tell me about the paper I wrote about uh, kidney revival or something, you know, and they'll promptly tell me about a paper on kidney revival complete with that I wrote complete with um, references which are completely utterly bogus right. so so the first thing is they make up stuff they're generative the so and, and that's not really fixable it's inherent in uh, the technology the second problem is the pgp uh, is they are pre-trained so they are trained in these massive training uh, um, sessions that you know can take weeks or even months in some cases uh, for example, ChatGPT is rumored to have cost more than $100 million to train in this massive training exercise to, to digest all of, you know, all of, all of these uh, billions of, of pieces of information. But they are pre-trained, which basically means they cannot learn interactively in real time. And that's a huge limitation. And, you know, the T is a transformer um, uh, model that or the technology that they are based on and that really makes it in makes these limitations inherent uh they use what 
called back propagation, uh, which is, you know, this very slow, expensive process of training. And they are just in, inherently incapable of ingesting new information uh, in real time. Now, there are certain hacks that people do, you know, they have a memory buffer and there are external databases you can do, but they don't fundamentally change the the model that, that has been pre-trained. So um, um, imagine hiring a human personal assistant who comes to you and says, uh, I can do Excel, I can do QuickBooks, and I know about this and I know about that. Great. Fantastic. And now you tell them, well, we're opening a new branch here and we have this uh, this product that we're discontinuing and I just have a new uh, business relationship here. And the next day they come in and they don't remember anything that you said. Right. You know, that's not going to be very useful. That's right. going to get very frustrating. So uh, in, in short, the generative AI, the, the, the technology, the GPT uh, transformer technology, is incredibly useful for answering questions about stuff that is already pre-trained. Uh, and they're very good at idea generation and now also at you know logos and, and images and pictures and, and so on. But the, there always needs to be human in the loop to basically verify uh, you know the quality of the information and to redirect the system by you know what's called prompt engineering to basically figure out how do you need to prompt the system to give you the right kind of answer. Um, so they're very powerful for the sort of idea generation and and brainstorming and you know providing information that's already known, um, but they cannot be relied upon. So you know if you're talking about replacing call center agents, companies have very specific requirements. They have legal requirements. They have business rules. They have requirements from marketing that the system needs to behave in a, in, a, in a certain way uh, and say things in a very particular way. And uh, that technology really just isn't suitable for, uh, for for those applications. And that's, you know, where our technology, which is not generative AI, it's cognitive AI. Right. Um, yeah. And I think we'll be focusing on on call centers, uh, that industry specifically, because that's um, that's like one of the main use cases for Ego's uh, chatbot, if you will, the, the cognitive AI. Could you... For the for the and for myself, could you uh, talk a little bit about the scale of of call centers? Right, like, I think we've all interacted with them for you know customer service, etc. But uh, I think it'd be interesting to to know a little bit about the the vastness of this of this. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, depending on what uh, exactly how you define you know call center operation, help desk, and so on, uh, but they're well over ten million people doing this kind of uh, work and um, you know call center operators have had really a, a, a hard time especially since COVID I mean it's always been difficult but especially now they have tremendous problems in finding people first of all who are willing to do this work mm -hmm. secondly in training um, you know that's non-trivial um, but then retention is a huge problem i recently read a statistic that the the average longevity is six weeks now obviously it accounts for a lot of people who come there on on a day to say whoa, whoa. <laughs> I, i'm not going to do this anymore you know but uh it's really they have tr uh, really terrible turnover and then from a user point of view 
um, of, of course, the customer point of view, it's the, the quality can be very, very spotty. You know, that um, some people are really good at the job and uh, others aren't, or they're bored or they're in a bad mood or, you know, what whatever or overloaded. Um, and then, of course, you have the wait time, which is terrible. You know, then, uh, I mean, we all know that when we talk, try and get through to a bank or, um, you know, medical insurance or something, typically you just sitting there or airline you're just waiting you know waiting and waiting waiting uh, to to connect so it's it, it it's it's really hard for call centers to provide good service um and it's very frustrating from a customer point of view so with our technology not only can we totally eliminate wait time uh, but we can also in many many cases provide better service in fact, much better service than a human can, because our system has instantaneous access to prior conversations, to you know all of the products and things, which the human operator typically wouldn't have. They wouldn't have the the time to look up you know previous uh, interactions, even if even if that capability existed. So the service can actually be much better, and and uh, and no wait time uh, with provided you have an intelligent enough chatbot yeah i i want i want to go back just a final point with regards to call centers this is actually one of the things that i i was curious about or that kind of clicked in my mind when um when we connected in the sense that like okay i talk a lot about emerging technologies on the podcast and call centers for me wasn't necessarily like the, the most exciting thing but then i started realizing oh wait like i use call centers at least a couple times a week you know I've, I've developed this little business that i'm working on and i need help with you know websites or the bank as you mentioned or these other services and i was i was starting to think like just how much society as a whole is kind of held back or all of the it's a good way of saying it like the slowdown of society and the economy based on the amount of improper help that we're getting from these help desks or from these from these call centers uh and i started to think like it was it's actually quite tremendous when you think about it all the interactions that we're having all these times that we're either you know hitting zero so many times or or not getting the answer that we require i think it ha must have a you know a tremendous economical um impact but also kind of a frustrating psychological impact on society as a whole if these if these help desks and call centers in general just not as efficient or as optimized as maybe what ego is is going to be uh, offering them oh absolutely um I, I mean the the economic cost overall in terms of the inefficiencies uh, must be quite substantial and i mean then you add to it uh, i mean i find myself often you know wanting to do something and i keep pushing pushing putting it off because i really don't want to deal with yeah. the, the the hell of of trying to talk to a human in a in a call center um you know for all the different problems i mean a, a, another problem that is you know a, a, a really a big aggravation is you you wait half an hour you finally get through to somebody you explain your whole story you identify yourself you go through all of that they ask you questions which you may have to look up or something you know uh, like an account number or what your last transaction was or whatever. So you go through all of this this hell. Um, eventually they identify and then they tell you, oh, sorry, this is the wrong department. I can't help you. Let me transfer you. 
the transfer unit rings and rings and rings and then just cuts off probably or maybe if you're lucky you eventually get through to another person and you start the whole process again because of course they don't transfer that information you know i i mean that's just that's why we hate these things um and you know with with proper automation you don't need to have any of those frustrations you know uh, one of our big customers is 1-800-Flowers group of companies Harry and David and Popcorn Factory and so on and you know of course they have a tremendously difficult task uh, Valentine's Day and Mother's Day when you know their volume goes up like tenfold you know of course and um with with human operators, it's you simply cannot scale that quickly, you know. So wait times go up. So with with our system now, there are no there is no wait time, you know. That basically with automation we can scale up instantaneously and you know handle thousands and thousands of uh, calls, simultaneous calls. So there are really a, a lot of advantages in having automation, and you know we. In, in terms of acceptance of people accepting this, I think it's an interesting dynamic. Historically, people hate automation for very good reasons. So they're reluctant. You know, they might just straight away say, oh, I'm just going to press zero to get to an operator uh, because the automated system is going to be even worse. Um, but A, automation is becoming better. You know, speech recognition has has improved significantly. So the technology has improved, um, and you know, for some of the some of the simpler things, uh, chatbots can be quite effective. But then also we have these sort of demographic differences. Younger people simply do not want to talk to somebody else. <laughs> they just want to do stuff on the web or on chat or whatever. They just want to get stuff done. And we what we're finding the interesting thing is even older people are starting to realize it and 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 change that. You know, and say. Hey, if I can just do this on the web, or if I can just do it on my phone and my my app, or that's actually much better. I don't actually want to talk to a human. So the 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 technology is improving on the one hand, and the dynamic of of demographic and and users is is changing. So we're definitely moving um, more and more towards automation. And you know, I just wish I, I just wish more companies had better technology. Yeah. Uh, can can we touch on that uh, maybe fear of automation, right? So my, my first hundred episodes was dedicated to to automation with a large focus on, you know, labor and uh, technological unemployment. And I think that this is something that any um, autonomous or automated technology focused tech, uh, business needs to kind of, I think, discuss a little bit further in depth, right? So you, we mentioned, or you mentioned at the beginning that the average uh, turnaround for for these call centers is about six weeks uh, for for individuals. I would also assume that a lot of these people going into these call centers or help desks, like they really need this kind of work sometimes, right? This is not you know like uh, uh, Ivy League type work in in many cases. How have you uh, or in the discussions with with your clients, how have they? discussed or talked about the fear of their employees um, being completely automated, being replaced? Uh, has there been some sort of discussion of, uh, I think the term is um, like centaur teams, right? So the AI and humans working together, 
or is your solution just you know complete replacement of the of the human labor force in these in these companies yeah it's uh, it's a complex uh, topic um you know on on the one hand um call you know companies are struggling to find staff for call centers so if they just stopped hiring they'd very quickly get down to a core, you know, a level of people that that actually want to make this their profession. And there are some people who are really, really good at it, that they enjoy it, and it's their career. And that's great. But they also don't want to handle the, the, the totally mundane things, you know, that that can be automated. So it allows them to, to handle the more interesting cases where the human touch is required. You know, we're maybe a longer product dis description or brainstorming on what somebody might want to buy or how to solve a problem. Um, so, you know, companies, when you talk to them, they'll they'll say, oh, we don't want to lay off any staff. But, you know, that's kind of the politically correct thing to 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 say. In reality, uh, they all want to save money. And if on top of it, they can provide a better service and save money, they, they will do it. Now, of course, you have government organizations or unionized shops that say, we will not lay off any any people, you know, and well, I mean, then if you do automation, they're just going to sit there twiddling their thumbs or something, you know. Now, in, in, in terms of overall, um, you know, joblessness, I mean, we simply haven't found that because service jobs have sprung up you know they they new service jobs spring up more quickly than automation can replace things i mean basically we don't have unemployment anybody who wants wants to work can work um so i don't really see that um as a problem in in the short run now we can also talk about the future of ai and much more advanced ai but you know that's sometime in the future right now uh in in terms of you know destroying jobs no these are not jobs that that most people want to do yeah and i like the uh uh the point that you made this has obviously come up many times on the podcast where people that want to do that work um are able to do the more complex or maybe cognitively challenging work as you were saying the you know the longer product discussions or you know times where customers have a real difficult issue um whereas the ai system can take care of all the mundane you know the quick requests um and offer these people maybe even a more more challenging role in the in the current uh, position that they have this is something that we see all the time whenever automation comes in people tend to do more high quality work or more cognitively challenging work correct i mean the the, the history show, uh, shows that i mean that with all the automation um in fact work hours in america have if anything become longer or certainly not much shorter uh so so clearly it's filling up with additional services that that people want and are willing to pay for yeah um how uh how quickly can your system be implemented in a business let's say like the the, the flower um business mm -hmm. that you're saying for example is this something that can be done within a month or does it take a little bit longer i would assume that the training period would be maybe one of the the longest uh, aspects of it right so currently our focus is to work with uh enterprise with you know with larger companies 
and typically the whole process of just you know figuring out the integration security yeah. the specifications business rules and so on uh, tends to take quite a lot of time on the company side you know just to actually decide it's a new system or an upgraded system you know if they're replacing an existing system they usually want to upgrade it modernize it and so on so usually that that whole sort of discovery and and making apis available and that tends to take much longer than the actual implementation right. um i mean we've implemented systems you know within just a few weeks two weeks three weeks or something uh, but you know, typically you you'd be looking at more like you know six weeks or, or something. That's if if all the stars align and all the services are available in their you know clear specifications, mm -hmm. um, because you really want to have deep integration into the backend system, so so that the chatbot is in fact um, you know or the the voice voice or, or text chatbot is is in fact uh, capable of providing up-to-date information uh, and to update uh, the backend system properly with any you know new orders changes to the order or cancellations or refunds or whatever you might might have you know right right yeah that makes that makes sense um i i can't, I can't remember i looked i looked at your company uh a week or two ago um with these chatbots is the is the um, voice aspect connected to it, or or is it just text? Uh, yes, um, the when we launched uh, my my previous um, AI company, in fact, focused entirely on on voice interactions. Uh, that company called Smart Action, uh, they're still going strong. Um, with Igo, we actually decided to start uh, with with chat because that's the fastest growing channel. Um, more and more companies are moving from you know voice channel trying to push their customers from voice interaction to chat interaction. Um, but we have just recently introduced voice as well. So we now offer essentially omni-channel. So you could actually start an interaction on voice and then move up to chat or vice versa, um, you know, and, and uh, seamlessly move from one one channel to, to another. Okay, fantastic. Um, the, the reason I ask is uh, I was actually just having a conversation with a family member uh, like two days ago. And I, I was reminded of the example that uh, I think it came out like seven, maybe 10 years ago now where Google was presenting their newest AI mm -hmm. bot uh, phoning a, a hair salon, I believe mm -hmm. it was, and making an appointment. And this, right. when when it came out, was you know fascinating for so many people. And I think the, the video got you know, three or four million views or something crazy like that. Um, because it was so similar to how a human spoke. I think there was even like an um or hmm, you know, like there was yeah. certain humanistic aspects implemented in that in that uh, bot, if you will, Google's bot. Right. Um, and we're hearing now with, you know, this whole new generative AI revolution that's been happening over the last year, uh, other technologies, other, you know, bots, if you will, that are not as good as that Google example, but mm -hmm. they're still pretty damn close, right? Like you can still, you can still know that there's that there's a there's a AI behind it, but the the, the right. tone, the structure of the sentence, everything seems pretty human. Um, may, maybe you could talk a little bit about your technology's uh, voice aspects, and then maybe touch a little bit on like how things are going to change over the next, say, five to ten years. Yes. So yes, Google duplexes, uh, that, that was a product. It was in interesting because 
um, really the biggest innovation was exactly sort of putting ums and ahs in there to make it sound like a human. They have, they've actually tried to commercialize this. Uh, I mean, I didn't realize it was seven years ago, but yeah, it's a long time yeah. ago. And they've been spectacularly unsuccessful in doing it. So the intelligence just wasn't there because they also in inherently tried to just use flowcharts. And, you know, the thing, there's one thing in having a, an impressive demo, especially if you control yeah. it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, yeah. and it's very different on having something that actually works in the, in the real world. Now, my philosophy in, it has always been, you should not fool the customer into believing they're talking to a human. I think that's a, a big mistake. Now, uh, often our customers will disagree. Our enterprise customers will disagree and they say, we want this to sound just like our humans. Uh, you know, we want the persona, we want the warmth and so on. I really, and, and there are studies to, to show that that's actually a mistake because if people know they are talking to a computer, they're much more likely to just get on with doing what they want to do and not shoot the breeze and right. potentially confuse the system, you know, right. or talk about things, you know, about the ball game or something that the system will have no idea on, you know, how to respond or have a, have a conversation. Or if they suddenly discover that they aren't talking to a human, uh, they'll actually be quite annoyed. So I think there are, are lots of reasons why upfront you should say, you know, I'm your automated system. I'm here to help you. You know, or 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 something. Now, you still want a good quality of uh, of voice, and you certainly want excellent quality of understanding. You know, of, of speech recognition. Um, but that's just to make it, you know, sound pleasant and and you know not and make it easy to easy to understand. So I think you want high quality um, voice. But I think it's a mistake to put ums and ahs and, and stuff like that um, into it. I mean, a computer doesn't um and ah. Right. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, and uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about what your customers have been experiencing so far. So I can only imagine the the efficiency gains that they've been having. Have there been any cases where the um the the chatbot can't respond and then you know learns how to respond and then the next week or in the next day or something they respond properly um how oh, how oh yes ab absolutely um there always has to be tuning because irrespective of you know how good the technology is or how much prior experience you have um, each company, each situation is is has a slightly different dynamic. Mm -hmm. You know, the way customers uh, speak and what they mean by what they say will be will be different depending on the the, the products, the context. It can even change depending on the weather. You know, if you have storms or snowstorms or something, then certain things may have a different meaning, but that will affect one type of business very differently like you know a triple a towing service it it's much much more critical or what the implications of you know um yeah there's ice on the road or something you know uh, so uh the the kind of tuning process uh you definitely need to do as you gain the experience with the system and then also product changes that you have business rule changes and so on you really want to make sure that the system is is always up up to date mm -hmm. now we are we are not at human 
uh, level intelligence with our technology. I mean, nobody is, and we certainly aren't. So there are clearly situations that the system can't handle. Now, it, it can either be because it simply lacks the intelligence to understand the deeper point, or somebody maybe isn't very clear, but it can also be simply that APIs don't exist yet for uh, automation. You know, that's something that's done through some kind of a manual process on a screen that doesn't have an API. So, um, you know, there are definitely uh, situations that you transfer to an operator. And the way we do that is we uh, transfer to an operator, but we give the operator a summary of what we've already handled. So maybe we've already given them the order status and you know, change the delivery address or, or something, but they also want to change a product and there's no API available for that, you know, hypothetically. Um, then it can be passed on to an operator. They know which order you're talking about. We've already changed the delivery address. They don't need to validate the customer anymore. They can get straight into making the product change or, or you know, what whatever. Um, so that is very efficient. But um, we, we haven't um, automated all, you know, talking about 1-800-Flowers as an example, we haven't automated uh, all aspects of their business yet, but the parts that we have automated, um, we do, we have just under 90%, 89.5% self-service. Mm -hmm. So, you know, only 10% of, of the calls that we can handle uh, need to um, still need an operator for one reason, uh, reason or another. So, you know, that's obviously a tremendous help um in in terms of not you know they they it saves them you know two or three thousand operators that they have to hire for for mother's day so that's right. yeah. very significant yeah yeah and especially if these are large businesses right yeah imagine the kind of cost savings that they have um and then of course the the important point is uh customers are able to have their problems solved probably pretty pretty quickly they don't have yeah no there's you know zero zero wait time uh so that that's much much better customer service yeah do you think in the in the near future i mean i'm assuming that you also have competitors that are doing something similar to ego do you think that there's the, going to be this mindset shift about oh i have to deal with uh you know a chatbot on a website to oh it's going to be you know a simple solution within 2 or 3 minutes for this issue that i have you know, as we were discussing at the beginning, there's this big issue. Right. Now. And is the, do you think that there will be a mind shift or is it we're so sunk, sunk into this? I hate chatbots. I hate dealing with customer service. Yeah. So it's uh, it's actually pretty complex right now. And, you know, we, as we talk to enterprise customers, it's very, very confusing for them because on the one hand, they have, you know, what I refer to as a 30 old. 30-year-old technology of essentially a flowchart that you design. Now, there's some pretty sophisticated tools that you can design these conversation flows with, but still, it's essentially a flowchart that you're designing. And that's a technology they they already know, and a lot of companies have built their, you know, the internal skill set around those. Um, but they're pretty inadequate. I mean, one of the biggest banks, for example, um, you know, designed their own system. They we know they spent you know over a hundred million dollars de de developing the system, and they have something like a three percent uh, use uptake. You know of of the system, and yeah, you try and use it, it's it's pretty awful because you know it's just a flow 
flowchart system. So a lot of companies are stuck with that old technology and they really can't easily move to a chatbot with a brain, you know, if they if they found out about us. Um, but then, then of course, now in the last, uh, this year, you have all companies trying to jump onto the uh, large language model bandwagon, the chat GPT. And, you know, the, there's obviously this hype that, oh, this can do everything. And it is incredibly impressive when you talk to it. So you sort of think, surely we can use this to replace operators. So a lot of large companies are attempting to do that and they're failing, you know, because it can't be done. It literally cannot be done. You cannot ultimately get sign off from your legal system, legal department because the thing just isn't reliable enough. Uh, it's very hard to integrate it. It's, it's expensive. And the the big problem in training it, you know, that it, it has this fixed fixed memory. So there are all these these really fundamental technology problems. But on the other hand, the promise, it seems so promising, you know, so companies are putting effort in, uh, in, uh, into that. Now, you, you can use a large language model technology, for example, for um, natural language search on, on your website, uh, you know, it can be very effective for that. But there you have the human in the loop, you know, people are used to it, they do Google search, they're oh, okay, this is not relevant, this is not relevant, this looks wrong, and, and you know, just kind of scroll through it. And with large language models, you could you can make that kind of FAQ search type thing, um, actually more more effective, but it's still the human has to, it, you know, it's not you following a procedure and a that it needs to update your backend system and follow business rules, and that really the legal, your legal department and your marketing and your user experience department can sign off on a complex transaction that that you need to do. So, so basically, the companies are torn between this old technology, uh, ChatGPT, the promise of ChatGPT, and then if they've heard of our our system, it's you know uh, cognitive AI. Now, unfortunately, then. Um, for for customers, there there aren't really uh, any other companies uh, using cognitive AI. That we are the only company that has a chatbot with a brain, and it's a bit of an accident of history that um, statistical systems have been so incredibly successful over the last ten years in you know uh, sentiment analysis and 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 uh, things of that nature that. All of the effort, almost all of the effort in AI has gone into statistical systems. Mm. And, um, you know, that's just just uh, where we are. So it is kind of a confusing uh, situation. But, you know, it, technology is going to, to continue uh, getting better. Now, the, the huge change is going to be when we get to truly human level AI. But that's another discussion which i'll be very happy to talk about as well yeah i, I mean uh we don't have that much time left but uh, yeah this is this is certainly something that uh i think is on the top of everybody's brains that are really considering and thinking about ai and, and kind of the future um, maybe we can tie that together with one of the other questions that i had so this might be a little bit out of scope with with the work that you're doing but you know one of the things that i really need in in the business that I'm running is a personal assistant, right? So I've I've tried hiring a couple human virtual assistants, but they're not great. And I think that um, uh, 
uh, Google's duplex was proposing the idea of, you know, a real AI virtual assistant. So my question to you is, is there any uh, future scenario or thought for um, Ago's future to move outside of just the, the call center support and move towards something that more likely resembles a virtual assistant or personal assistant, especially as uh, cognitive AI gets closer and closer to the state of human level cognition? Well, I'm, I'm very glad you asked the question because both in terms of what we're doing now, uh, the answer is yes, but very definitely in terms of um, the development we are uh, we are working on. So let me talk about what we currently do. Mm -hmm. So even though I've been talking about call center, uh, replacing call center agents, uh, that's sort of the most obvious uh, implementation. You know, there's you improve, you, you know, you make your customers happy and you make your CFO happy. So, you know, it's a it, it's a most obvious application right now. But our current technology is actually um, pretty much domain agnostic. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we can use the same technology, for example, as a in the medical field as a diabetes coach, you know, as a kind of a personal coach that can help you manage diabetes. So it can learn uh, your food preferences, you know, uh, do you love broccoli or hate broccoli and, you know, or vegetarian? And it can then help you help guide you through uh, managing diabetes. So that that's a very good application for uh, for our current technology um, or for a student assistant and a university. You know, as you get to university, it's overwhelming, you know, yeah, yeah. but you can have this personal assistant that knows about you, knows what, you know, what subjects you, you you're studying and where you live and all of that kind of stuff. And it can help you where to where to get your meals and your books and help your studies and so on. So that's, again, something uh, we are actually talking to some universities uh, to, to provide that as a personal assistant. So these assistants are still more narrowly focused. So because giving it the kind of knowledge in a robust way that it's not going to make up stuff and, you know, uh, hallucinate. hallucinate. Yeah, yeah. Um, is is uh, you know is, is somewhat uh, challenging still or so, somewhat expensive, um, so that's why we can use our current technology in particular domains where it can act as a as a personal assistant. Uh, we can also use our technology as a, a co-pilot, so complex software. So, for example, you have business intelligence software that might have lots of drop-down menus and options and so on, and customers aren't really utilizing it fully. Uh, because you know it's too complex and so on. So you can have an IGO as a front end and say, you know, make me this graph, uh, you know, about last year summarizing by product and exclude, you know, something, right. um, and then compare that to something else. Now ChatGPT can can start to do that kind of thing as well, uh, but again, kind of the robustness. And if you want to deeply integrate it into your uh, uh, product, um, you may be better off with something as predictive and reliable as our system, you know. But so the, the current technology can certainly be used for personal assistant, for a co-pilot, um, or really any conversational, uh, uh, conversational application. Now, in terms of the development that we're doing now, we just just two months ago we kicked off 
um, a new project within our company to focus directly on getting all the way to human uh, intelligence, you know, a dedicated uh, project. Whereas previously we'd been more incrementally improving our technology, but there's always been the tension between what do our customers need right now versus, you know, what development do we need to do to really make the system uh, more intelligent? So we've now separated the two and we have a, a commercial development that's ongoing, but we've, um, I'm now spending actually most of my time on, on the project, um, on the AGI project to basically get to um, human level intelligence. Mm -hmm. Now, with that, we will be able to fill your promise. And uh, it, I mean, I, I'm very, very excited about it. And this is really what I've been looking forward to for the last, you know, 20 years to, right. to get to that, uh, to get to this point. And, you know, uh, the personal assistant is definitely one of the targets. In fact, we call this a personal, personal, personal assistant. And the reason oh, yeah. we do that yeah. is there are three different meanings of the word personal that apply. The first personal is that you own it. It serves your agenda, not some mega corporation. Right. Right. Because, you know, as long as Amazon uh, owns it, they're probably not going to tell you about the specials at Walmart or if Apple. Mm -hmm. Apple is not going to tell you, Siri is not going to tell you uh, about the latest Samsung phone, I should imagine. Mm -hmm. So it's your you know, your personal assistant, you own it, it serves your agenda. The second personal is it's hyper-personalized to you. You're not a demographic, you're an individual. It learns your preferences, your history, who your friends are, you know, the different relationships you have. So it learns all about you on an ongoing basis um, in, in real time. And then the third personal is the issue of privacy, that you can decide what it shares with whom. You know, there are certain things you share with your spouse, other things you share with co-workers, and yet other things you might share with Amazon. Mm -hmm. So that is a very definite target for the, uh, the the new development that we we're busy on is is the personal personal assistant, uh, which will be one of the applications we will we will have for for that technology. Uh, another very exciting application is, of course, to have um, AI researchers. Imagine you get you train one AI to be a PhD level cancer researcher. You can now make a million copies of that, and you have a million PhD level cancer researchers chipping away at the problem. Now, you know, with that, we are going to make uh, presumably much more rapid progress to solving. You know, and cancer is just one example. Of course, there are many other technical issues. Um, material science, batteries and pollution, you know, uh, climate change and and um, you name it. So that's really the, the thing I'm working on is to have a brain at human level that can act as a personal, personal assistant and a researcher. Um, and of course, also reduce the cost of goods and services across the board. Yeah, this is... Um... I mean, you hit the nail on the head. That is the excitement with AI, right? This is mm -hmm. the the what the salute, the panacea to the world's problems, right? Many people have said uh, whether it you know will destroy us uh, is another question. We don't necessarily need to go down that road, but um, yeah, it's it's absolutely fascinating when you think about it. When we get to human level intelligence, the kinds of benefits that can be experienced by all people across society and civilization is um it's really fascinating 
Um, I, I, I'm still going to stick to my desire for the personal assist or the, the PPP, uh, yeah. uh, assistant, because, uh, it's definitely something that I would, um, need e even right now. Do you have a, uh, a timeline, like a rough, I mean, of course you can't pinpoint the exact time, but is there a rough timeline as to when you think you'll be able to develop? Um, yes, we are. We, we have a roadmap for that. Uh, really our biggest bottleneck right now is, uh, funding, you know, we, um, so when people ask me what are the timeline, I so I usually now measure it in dollars rather than uh, than years. Now, of course, you know you still need to hire people and bring them up to speed, uh, but we need to hire about a hundred people for this project to really accelerate it. You know to optimize it as to the the amount of work we've already identified that needs to be done, and we believe we can get there in uh, in less than three years. Really? Oh, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, I think lots of people will be, I mean, I'm very happy to hear that, but I think lots of people will also be uh, fascinated to hear that. I, I think that, you know, I've had so many discussions about AI with so many people over the last year, especially, and there is a very, there's a large discussion debate going on about whether we'll he reach specifically human level AI and then of course, super intelligence within the next, you know, five, 10 years or so. Um, and so many people are saying, ah, you know, it'll be 50 years, we won't reach it there. And then many people are even saying within the next year or something like that. So it's, um, it's interesting for me to hear that you have this, this uh, goal or this expectation within three years, because I think that's, it's vastly shorter than than most of the people that I've been talking to. Uh, assume. Yes, of course, for us, it's not three years, we've been working at it for, yeah, yeah. you know, more than 15 years, um, just with a very small team. Um, and I, I've written quite a bit about it. In fact, I just published two white papers on why don't we have AGI yet and what will it take to get there? I've also written quite a few articles about, you know, the risks uh, or lack of risks from my perspective um, in, in AI that, you know, artificial intelligence or AGI will will really support human flourishing. And I, I, I believe that um, not blindly, you know, for, I think, good, uh, good logical reasons. I think a lot of the talk about the existential risks or dramatic risks of AI, um, uh, unfortunately, are promoted by academics that really don't have the, um, you know, was really, uh, and then taken up by, by other people in the industry, uh, that really don't have the technical understanding of how you build an AI and, you know, it's not just going to have a mind of its own. Uh, it's built to do things for us. You know, that is what we engineer it to do. And if they don't do that, we, you know, we delete, <laughs> delete the copy and say, you know, it's a bug. It didn't work the way right. we expected it to work. So, but it, it, you know, it's, it, I, I don't want to trivialize it. It's not a, it's not a simple discussion and clearly there are, uh, concerns and one one needs to consider with very powerful AI. But uh, I think a lot of the concerns that are voiced right now are really very misguided. Okay, interesting. Uh, well, I'll, I'll definitely look at those white papers and I'll have them up on the show notes uh, for those that are interested in, in reading them. Um, I see that our, our time is, uh, is expired here, Peter. Um, are there any other maybe final thoughts that you want to leave with the audience with regards to maybe the future of, of AI? Well, as I said, I, I believe that um, 
AGI will will really help human flourishing. Um, and I think when we see a lot of the problems facing uh, facing humanity right now, it's the lack of intelligence, um, the lack of deep knowledge, the lack of good deep reasoning about things that is the, the cause of a, a lot of that, you know, where people just make bad decisions because our human brains are not actually designed to be super rational. You know, rationality is an evolutionary afterthought. Uh, so we often react emotionally and with incomplete information and we don't think things through properly. And AIs will actually, AI will help us, will help us make better decisions and help us solve many of the problems uh, you know, facing like such as, as I mentioned, disease and so on. So obviously, I'd love to hear from people who want to use our technology and enterprise customers, and also anybody who wants to join us on the, the path of developing uh, human level AGI, uh, you know, any investors, collaborators, or so I'd, uh, very much like to hear from them. Great. Well, I'll have your uh, your website up on the on the show notes. Are there any other places that you would uh, like people to reach out to you or follow? Oh, it's very very easy to find me on you know LinkedIn, Twitter, or whatever, or Peter at Iger.ai, AIGO.ai. So always happy to talk to people interested in human level intelligence. Perfect. Well, I guess we'll leave it there. Uh, Peter, thank you very much for coming on the podcast and talking to. Uh, to me and us about uh, AI and and hopefully the future. Hopefully within three years, uh, I'll be getting a uh, I'll be one of your first customers if you get uh, one of the um, yep. personal 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 uh, assistants. Yeah, almost everybody we talk to says, "Yeah, I want one of those," and yeah. yes, I want one of those, and <laughs> <laughs> we're working on it. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks a lot for your time. Thank you. A lot of future shocked people and future shocked institutions in our society are simply overwhelmed. Once there is superintelligence, the fate of humanity may depend on what the superintelligence does. Science fact is catching up to science fiction. The first truly intelligent machine will be the last invention that humanity needs to make. The only scarcity that will exist in the future is that which we decide to create ourselves as humans. Within a 10-year design revolution, we can have all humanity living the highest and living anybody's ever known. Progress is uh, accelerating at an exponential pace and it's going to reach a point where progress is so fast it's going to be a singularity. We are probably one of the last generations of Homo sapiens. Every single headline points to the birth pangs of a type 1 civilization. Well, thanks for listening to this week's Future Tech and Foresight podcast. If you like what you've heard here, there are, of course, a number of ways that you can support the podcast. The best way would be to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or give a rating on Spotify, which you can find a step-by-step -step explanation for on the futuretechandforesight.com website. Alternatively, feel free to leave a comment either on the episode show notes or the YouTube channel where you can see video recordings of the interviews. And finally, if you are part of an organization that is aware of the disruptive and transformational impact that emerging and future technologies will bring and want to know more, please get in touch to hear about the strategic foresight services that we offer and how we can help future-proof your organization and take advantage of the phenomenal opportunities available to survive and thrive in the future.